Hello Universe! It is the 1st of June. Happy June, happy June. Uh, my birthday month is here. Though my birthday week is not very near. Because my birthday is June 28th. A day which I hold dear. Um, <clears throat> it's... Uh, where, where, where do I want to go? Here's the thing. My second open mic has still not happened. I have talked myself out of every open mic because I panicked beforehand that <clears throat> I was ill-prepared to face a circumstance that I wasn't familiar with. And not only did I not do one, I didn't even go to one just to see what was up so I could be more prepared for one so my panic meter could fall. In other words, I have basically pushed out of every opportunity to push my um, my introduction to the Denver open mic comedy scene off to the side for reasons that were completely fabricated and last minute and related to the stress of going on stage myself. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> even as I was canceling on myself earlier in the last six and a half days, I knew that I couldn't cancel on this for that reason because I've been here. I know what I'm getting into. So in many ways, I have been thinking in my own head, well, my second chance on stage should almost follow the place I went first so that whatever excuses I want to make for myself coming off that night have to be limited to what happened in between and what I brought to the stage my second go. What I might do at the ABC uh, eatery or the XYZ um, bar mitzvah would be something that I could situationally uh, hang <clears throat> variables of both success and failure on what was different about each one of those situations. And obviously, that's part of the, what will happen eventually, but... In this effort, and maybe even the next one, which I would give myself enough slack, but at that point, it's time to branch out. But the idea of <clears throat> a little consistent framework, a little um, knowing the, the larger scheme in place that will then allow me to take whatever I want to take away from myself in five minutes' time of interacting with this audience. Again, my next most critical um, success milestone is to successfully get through my material on stage that I was intending to get through. Since I didn't do that last week, I have to do that before I consider anything else of, of uh, um, what am I trying to think of in a word that means the basic, it's like when you practice your scales so you get better at piano. You can't have material and then not use it. You can't come with a story of uh, structural building and climax at 
uh, certain beats and not hit them. You're here to do, as much as anything, a performance. And this is what I didn't understand at all week one. Because I thought, well, I'm always performing. I just live a life of performance. I am engaged with the world at such a high level that whatever I'm doing is probably at least reality show worthy, if not somewhat worthy of an ABC Family sitcom. So, just watch and laugh, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, again, so let's fall back to the two measures whereby you have to then um, either commit or, um, or jump overboard, as I did last week, into waters unknown and just panic. But if you commit to the easy format of this, and I say easy meaning in terms of delivery, for me personally as a human being or a uh, star-seated alien emerging in my own human skin suit or as a soon-to-be-found-out lizard-wearing nefarious agent of humanity, whatever the fuck I am, right? I am on stage the person that I am right here. So this person, this thing, this pretend chaos circumstance of nothing can have a slightly better opinion of themselves if they will take their material on stage in a structural form where the jokes are known. Mm. Oh, don't groan, Phoebe. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. Well, these things are easy to remember. So if you're work is polished material of that setup delivery nature, <clears throat> then I think you do work on your presentation. You do work on your timing and delivery. You do work on your beats and your measures. And eventually, honestly, I hope to aspire to have uh, those types of memorized jokes ready to go. And I can't imagine there's a comedian alive who, when asked, what is it you do for a living, and the said up-till-now person who did not know this gets the response, I'm a comedian. The triggered then, oh my God, well, tell me a joke, Mr. Funny Guy, has to be <sighs> probably the single biggest downfall of getting involved in the career in the first place. But... If that is part of your public um, obligation, what, do you, what is it? What, is, what, is, what do you owe? You don't, that's the thing. In our society as it is now, to um, not have that moment ready to go. Well, again, structured jokes, they matter. So, <clears throat> you know, like, I know a lot of people are getting turned off by <clears throat> some of the more extreme versions of porn, but for me, it's always been sort of a turnoff because either A, I have to listen to it in English, or B, I have to put it on in some other language and watch the scrolling uh, grammar mistakes. So, I've never been a fan of porn, but by far and away... And I don't think it'll ever change. I do have a favorite porn category. And that is participatory. See, those types of structured jokes 
are, <clears throat> I don't know what, something that you can, I imagine, polish over time. I think you can get even to where you realize some of the things inside of your own stories are structured jokes themselves. You just start telling stories in a way that the rhythm of the story is more character or uh, action-driven than it is driven by uh, timing device or wordplay or any of the other things that work into a structured joke. So having no idea how to fill five minutes of time with structured jokes of my own, including the fact that I've written probably 25 of them this week, they aren't easy to write and like. They're not all that hard to write, but to write them well is challenging. And to write them superbly, like favorite category of porn is participatory, those um, are diamonds. And frankly, I don't know how many diamonds I can spit out in a week. So far, I think I've spit out two this week, and I've already told you one. So they don't come often. Pun intended. But when they do arrive, at least in my situation, as I've been trying to write humorous material or capture it in some form, um, they come realized. I think you know when you've got something that's freaking funny. Um, or at least on that scale of trying to write jokes, the structured joke reveals itself as funny immediately, or just it has to me. But what is more challenging is trying to get into, say, the nuance. For instance, here's a structured joke that's not funny. Um, this is my blankety-blank, we'll call it, let's say, this is my third time doing stand-up comedy for a paycheck. <clears throat> I, don't, uh, I don't have a lot of experience of people telling me that I'm so funny they'll pay me to do this. Um, in fact, this whole stand-up comedy is a lot harder than what we're all good at, right? Which is sit-down comedy. Yeah, see, somewhere in there is a joke. Finding it would take you a while of working out both your own uh, approaches, because you can do that in a totally different way and just say, you know, <clears throat> most of us just remain in the comic zone we're familiar with and comfortable with our entire lives, and that's sit-down comedy. We all do sit-down comedy. We do it with our aunt, we do it with our uncle, we do it with everybody. But do you know why so few of us do stand-up comedy? Yeah. Because then you got to get up here and do it. And you ain't so funny if you don't have your uncle and your brother and your cousin to make fun of. Because they easy to make fun of and everybody laughs. Up here, mm, nobody laughing. <laughs> so, if, if you're coming to a concept that's, I don't know, got you giggling... Then the question is, well, how does it present itself funniest? And even doing a character voice like that can elevate a joke into a space that's more funny than just straight telling it. So, again, this is where I think the really good comedians spend a lot of their time is polishing the diamonds that they have uh, mined out of their subconscious over time um, to get into having 45 minutes of comedy to walk you through. <clears throat>
And then, <laughs> then there are the guys um, like Marin or uh, Stanhope or Birbiglia or, well, I mean, a ton of them who tell stories that are humorous and side-splittingly funny in a lot of cases or extremely compelling and insightful and in some way um, cross-thinkingly um, reflective. It's, a, it's like they'll share a moment with you that makes you think you could share a moment with them and there's a, there is a level of humanity energy that uh, is shared in these storytelling uh, uh, confessions and, and observationals and um, whatnots. Um, and then there's character comedy and, and shot comedy and all that stuff too, which I'll never do. Voices, of course, but never would I be interested in, in, in uh, cultivating a, an Andrew Dice Clay persona, as it were, the Dice Man cometh. Um, but if somebody asks you, would you be Andrew Dice Clay for $55,000 an appearance? Would you not do that? Seriously? I mean, if all you want me to do is dress up like Andrew Dice Clay and go out and say his jokes... And you'll pay me $55,000 a night? Of course I would go do it. So, I don't begrudge anybody aspiring to be anything. Especially something that might be borderline shocking or outrageous or even offensive to a society so hell-bent on determining what we think and making sure that we all think it. And <clears throat> even when Dice Man emerged. I was a fan of comedy at the time. I've never been a fan of comedy since I was a kid. The very first record album I owned was Steve Martin's Wild and Crazy Guy. And then I owned a disco compilation, and then I owned um, Pink Floyd The Wall. Those are the first three record albums I had that I could play on my record player that I didn't uh, somehow inherit in the house, like some Little Red Shoes Diary scary album. But the first thing I got as a kid when I wanted to go get something I could play over and over again was Steve Martin, a wild and crazy guy. I loved it. I, I memorized it. It was a Christmas gift for my parents when I was seven. <clears throat> and I loved it. And so by the time Dice Man came around, shocking comedy was um it was its it was its own brand of emerging uh um, I want to say genius, but the, the world needed it. There's a reason Sam Kinison made it when Sam Kinison made it, because the world was angry at that time and was ready for some cathartic uh, onstage presence. And while I don't think of Gallagher as genius, I do think of Gallagher as the kind of comedian who stumbles into finding what audiences will respond to and need at a time when maybe the nacho cheese joke has run its course. But when do we get tired of great storytellers? When do you ever not want to hear what's coming out of Louis C.K.'s mouth? For the most part, it's, it's a gift that you're able to mesmerize an audience just keeping speaking words flowing enough that their attention maintains. There is so little 
room for listening in the universe anymore. Because on demand, we can watch and do whatever we want. Listening to another person is a skill that's dissolving. And so, the most compelling speakers, the ones who have the most to say, well, to what audience can they speak anymore? Who is listening? Who is even giving you five minutes to make a point? And so... When I think now, okay, you fucked around for a week telling yourself you weren't ready, you had this, that, and that, and that excuse. It's all, it's all fine, because I'm a panicky mofo by nature, and stage fright is still the number one thing keeping me from doing this. But, as excuses go, that one's over. <laughs> like, it can't exist. It has had its hiccup, and even this week, that wasn't all that there was, but that was... The primary driver, it just can no longer be the driver because I only get five minutes. And I only get it as often as I can talk whatever open room full of people who don't know me into letting me give them a chance to listen to me. And I am incapable of coming up with five minutes of structural jokes without getting some of my conversational rhythm going enough to conceive of those structural jokes from within all the disconnects I think are hilarious about being on this 8675309 Planet Earth ride. And all of this means that Monday's Double Dip, Tuesday West, Wednesday Class and After Mike, plus Thursday Week 3 here, that is... Five events next week in four nights. Well, no, because that's the class is an event too. So that is six events next week in four nights. Which I will allow myself one miss because I can see that as potential. But everything else is a go. If for no other reason, then I need to do these concepts in front of people who can help me through their feedback determine what's really funny. And getting to um, the point where I can just walk on stage with a concept like, I used to be a scientist. Well, I would say that I would have described myself as a scientist as much as anything, committed as I was to chemistry, physics, etc., and uh, now I'm a scientific Methodist. Yeah, we're, we're a small group. Yeah, we meet in uh, stark laboratories with no equipment. But uh, no, I'm, uh, there has never been a time that I had to delineate science from the scientific method. But today, it has to be done. So, don't call me a scientist. Call me a scientific Methodist. And again, getting to that point, you can talk a whole lot about what is today that is science versus what is today that is the scientific method. In today's science, we have Dr. Fauci, who, as far as I've seen, probably couldn't even tell you what the scientific method is. And this man is the man 
who becomes the figurehead of our response to a global pandemic. Exceptional, are we? Dr. Fauci? Exceptional? The only thing I can say about Dr. Fauci is the entire time he has shown his face through history, including all the way back to those clips of him in 82, he's got that look on his face. I know something that you don't know. Smug motherfucker. And again, one thing I like in my responsive leaders, especially to things like the biggest humanity issues there are, global pandemics, that kind of stuff, is trustworthiness. Is confidence that they are giving you the best and most current they've got. And no, instead, we pick the guy who looks like, I know something you don't know. You know who else had that look? Jeffrey Epstein. Yes, he did. So, again, you can wander all the way down that road, criticizing Fauci and all of our inactive or ineffective um, leadership that America has suffered in the single greatest hmm, uh, manufactured crisis of my time. But to even get them to manufactured crisis, you'd have to have walked them a long, long way down the road. So instead, you just work with the fact that Fauci's a two-faced son of a bitch, and we all agree on that, because he is. But now, to walk duplicitous road all the way to the end of the mile, <clears throat> well, you're going to need a lot more time. And you're only going to earn that time by being funny, by creating structured jokes that make people laugh about the topics today that kill us, like science versus the scientific method. And that if we don't start enhancing our accountability in terms of a public that receives nonsense descriptions as to what the fuck's going on, when people say, I'm sorry, but that information's too sensitive to share with you, no, it isn't. No, it's not. This is a time for transparency. You see, when everyone is concerned, when global pandemics are afoot, the less and less fishy shit should look. But not now. Nope, not now. No, we're just stuck in a chamber of... Well, if you've got questions, then you're the problem. Yeah. And so if you only get five minutes, take them. You need them. The world needs conversation. They don't need people walking themselves to the door saying, you know, it's going to be so rainy tonight. I just am not up for it because I might melt like the Wicked Witch of the West. No, you won't. Get your ass up. Get down there, fail miserably, but remind people that there's, there's no reason for this. There is absolutely no reason for the American people to be $100 billion in debt. Household debt. This has nothing to do with anything but personal debt, which shows up on your credit report. $100 billion 
dollars. That's $3,000 for every human alive in America. Every single one of us is $3,000 in debt. Now, if you want to tack our deficit obligation onto that, just say that you feel that obligation as a citizen. Well, now you're another $97,000 in debt. The interest rate is killing our debt structure to the point <clears throat> that we now spend more on our interest as a federal debt than we do on defense. It's the first time defense hasn't been the biggest expenditure of the day. First in line now is the guy that writes the check to pay off the interest on our debt. $100 billion of household debt. Exceptional. But, uh... It's not, it's not what people come for is to be told that they're fucking uh, falling apart. That the country that they have grown to feel some national obligation toward is in fact currently the one falling furthest off the stage of humiliation. And that what they are left to do about it is to trust an inept and ineffective leadership structure on the take by the very core of the issue, that which is dominance by unseen forces throughout the universe. And I don't mean good, evil, and malevolence and all that shit. I mean corporate structures who are hell-bent on profit, greed, and immediate return. But it's, it's just a system that's destined to collapse. So everyone's just kind of like, oh, can I die first? Is that possible? You think it'll last that long? I mean, I see at least another seven, eight years. And, uh, if it's going to go that long, let's say in seven, eight years, it looks like it's going to go another five. And then let's say after that, it looks like it's going to go another six. And then how long am I going to go? kind of where we're at, right? Well, no, it's not where we're at because cost of everything is doubling in times when wages won't have a chance to even remotely catch up. So by 18 months from now, this being June right before I'm 54, oh God, I don't even think about this. But by, by the time I'm by, by January of 2026, which is two and a half years away, everything that we now think is expensive will have doubled in price. So, what we do then, I don't know. But we're going to need a lot more people that are willing to do stand-up comedy, because sit-down comedy may not even be available anymore. We may not find anything funny at that point. We may not be able to have a conversation with any good humor in it at all. And we may be begging for those who, at least professionally, have found a way to put words together that makes my cheese nacho cheese. Actually, we don't want to be hoarding at that point, so let's have 
cheese that's not yours be your roommate's cheese that you're considering eating, but realize, I don't want to eat that. That's my roommate's. And in this moral situation, which isn't even really moral because, in fact, it's food that I need to survive, but I'm not dying. So if I eat that, it's not like I'm doing it because otherwise I will die. That would be a moral dilemma. But this, this is just me being greedy and thinking, that cheese looks better than the waffles I was going to make. Cheese and crackers or waffles? The waffles are mine. The cheese and crackers are not. You know, that's enough of a variable that I can stop this decision-making now. I'm having waffles. What happened to those people? <laughs> well, <clears throat> it's, it's okay to struggle with moments of weakness when you think everybody else is getting away with shit. Why the fuck am I so up and up? And it's okay to hammer yourself for even feeling that way if, for whatever reason, you have been overrun by thoughts of a similar nature. But the only way out of being somebody who thinks they deserve something that's not theirs or somebody who believes the world is tilted so far that you might as well just tilt it your way whenever available, whenever you start to think in a nihilistic and dismissive way of your own humanity, which is what you're doing when you do these things. Well, you, you allow into the mix enough contaminant to run you down. Because now you're obligated to a universe of chaos and one where outcomes are what they are, not one of entwined destiny where outcomes are determined by all. And you can still play it that way. Still be a heel in every circumstance in which that arises for an option in the game. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than you know, and it'll put you through paces that, honestly, you don't deserve. And because you'll have gotten there in ways that you won't realize till the end, well, you'll come back in a sanctimonious routine of learning about forgiveness toward yourself because all the other stuff you're going to have pulled will be out of fear of loving yourself to the point that you know no other option than to be benevolent inside of humanity's greatness. Everything else is you damaged. And acting out in ways that reveal your damage, well, if they're done... If they're done to find help, that's one thing. But if they're done because you've given up, well, recover yourself. You're just, you're, you're just so far outside of thinking you deserve it that you've given everybody else the chance not to deserve it. But you do deserve it. And even now, if you're stuck in a p place where you are the problem, you are the issue, you're the reason things are worse than they should be. It's amazing how much you can let go of your own sense of foreboding by just being a better person to yourself. I've, uh, I've found that comedy is my release point for stress. When I'm thinking things that are funny, I don't have an opportunity to think of things that are 
stealing away the better part of my personality, my humor, and my day. Now, does that mean I want to go live in a bubble and not know what reality is up to? No, of course not. But I'm going to make sure that most of my time, my distracted time, my offbeat time, my, hmm, what can I do right now time, is spent conceiving humorous thoughts. And I'm sleeping better. I have better conversations. I have better interactions with my mom and dad. I am in so much better of an overall mood. And I don't miss the news. I don't miss sports. I don't miss any of it. But I do miss people. I'm excited to go see some of these people that I met last week and at least say hi. I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. And the seven things I learned about stand-up between round one and round two I think are pretty funny. So there's some structure in there and some room to talk. And I think ultimately that's going to be where I'm going to be in my sweet spot. Bring a little structure, bring a little room to be myself, and take all five minutes in a way that honors and appreciates the audience's presence. Because just as important as going to these things on my end are showing up to these things in the community. And I understand that now too. If you want artists to emerge, you have to give them a pathway in which to emerge. And part of that is support from the local community. So now when people ask me, well, what can you be doing that just everything's all fucked up and everything, you know what you can be doing is this. Start finding an open mic night in your neighborhood and attending it. Even if you only attend to appreciate the artists, it's five bucks a week. That is so worth your community enhancement for the return it will provide. Not only this, not only are you throwing energy into the universe that says, let's let creativity prosper and blossom, but you, by succumbing to this oh-so-willful uh, donation of your, of your time and space, are doing the same for yourself. In fact, I would go so far as to say, not just attend an open mic in a role of support for local artists emerging in what can be considered the first step of talent realization anybody goes through, belief in themselves. Why not then use the time to formulate a way that you yourself could get up on stage? Maybe it's to... Tell a story of your youth, or maybe it's to tell a fictional story you've had in your head for 10 years, or maybe it's to get up there and wax philosophic about why Scrappy-Doo shouldn't exist. Whatever you want to do, though, whatever you're giving the universe, you're going to get back. And whatever you don't believe in in yourself, well, if you expose yourself to more and more of that, you'd be shocked how much of that's living inside of you waiting to expose itself to you. So... I feel like if I keep showing up these things, if I keep being the upbeat guy who believes in all of us, and if I keep telling jokes that uh, hopefully get funnier as I go along, well, I can't help but at least have an impact on my community that will reverberate back in a way that will all be rewarding. And I'm going to stumble and be <laughs> all kinds of disappointed in myself as we go through this, but I'm also eventually going to succeed. And as I do that, I think the rewards will so far outweigh any of the 
the trepidation I feel right now is it's almost it's twenty till seven. I gotta get going. That well, I guess I look forward to documenting it and having for the first time in my life the kind of purpose and destiny and self belief that determine I just can't fail. I just don't see how it's possible. So when it happens, of course, I'll be like, oh, well, that's how it was going to happen. I should have known better.